Hello, coffee lovers, and welcome to the God Country Live Video Podcast. Every every Friday evening at 7 p.m. Central Standard Time. And now, live from Seguin, Texas, and other places around the world, your host, Jose Roberto Alaniz Jr. Hello, coffee lovers. It's 1900. It's time for God Country Coffee. And for the first time in a long time, we actually have a guest in the shop tonight. So we're excited for that. Uh, but I'm really excited about the content because it's something that we've always talked about doing and we haven't really touched on it yet. And so what's going to happen, I'm going to introduce my guest. She's going to introduce herself uh, before we get into her service. She's a veteran, Army veteran. And uh, her name is Virginia Cruz. And uh, she wrote a book and we're going to talk about the book and we're going to talk about what she does a little bit. And, um, while she's doing introducing herself, I'm going to continue to do the, uh, uh, share the page to the other places. So bear with me, Virginia, welcome to third day Thank coffee. You. Thanks. It's really and, great uh, to be in person. Yes. I like the, it, I don't like the online stuff. I mean, it's, you know, we do it because we have to, we've had to for the last couple of years, but, uh, yeah, I prefer the, it's been a long pandemic, Jose. It has, it has been a long couple of years. It so it has. is, it's good to be here. It's good to be <laughs> in person. It's good to drink some of your coffee Thank you. and, uh, and enjoy the country out here in Seguin. Yeah. I really appreciate, uh, Virginia drove a very long way to be here I and I really appreciate that because I really think that, uh, what you have to offer, uh, the listeners, uh, is so important. It's something that we don't talk about enough. And so, uh, introduce yourself, tell us a little bit about where you're from and where you were raised sure. and what led you to join the service. So we'll talk about your service in a little bit. Sure. Thank you so much. So I'm Virginia Cruz and I, uh, I hail from mighty McAllen, Texas, which, uh, we call the South pole of Texas. I'm right there on the border, uh, of the Mexican American border, uh, in the Rio Grande Valley and absolutely love it down there. Um, I am a mental health professional, so I specialize in military mental health and specifically with uh, post-traumatic stress disorder and uh, a brand of PTSD that I will call moral injury. So I work a lot with, uh, with folks who have either witnessed or committed war crimes, folks who have uh, experienced some sort of institutional or leadership betrayal, and folks who have lost buddies in combat. So those are kind of the three different flavors of moral injury. And that's that's what I specialize in. And it is an absolute privilege to serve veterans and uh, and and really to serve active duty members and folks just like you, Jose. That's pretty awesome. Uh, so what led you to join the service? Like, did you have family or did you just decide uh, that this is what you were going to do with your life? College. 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 Yeah. <laughs> I wasn't, uh, I wasn't trying to decide between my gap year. I, I wasn't like, Oh, do I do my gap year in Bruges or Paris? I was like, wow. Okay. I really do not have a lot going on here. Uh, I was in Massachusetts at the time, just did not have a lot going on. Couldn't pay for college, couldn't pay for anything. And so I, I joined the army national guard out of Massachusetts and went to interrogator school and went to school to learn to speak Arabic. Wow. <laughs> that's a lot. Yeah. Just in the conversation we had ahead, ahead of time, that's, that's a lot. Um, it was a lot of fun. I had a really good time. What did you do in the military? So how long did you stay in active duty? 
Um, so active duty, I, th- I did three deployments, uh, but I stayed National Guard or Reserve pretty much the entire time. So okay. that's a really different experience for somebody who deploys as part of a reserve unit. So generally, especially for um, for say an army, a tactical unit, or a you know even an Air Force unit, you know you all go together. You come back together. You go out on the ship together. You come back and port together because right. you're you you live together. You serve together. But with National Guard and Reserve, it is it's a little sticky. So a lot of folks are what we call individual augmentees, meaning that they are plucked from uh, different units to fill the needs of the Army or the needs of the Air Force, or the Marine Corps, or Coast Guard, and they will be put with a unit for that deployment time, mm. if that makes sense. Yes. So then um, get to know each other at some, you know, beautiful resort like Fort Dix, New Jersey, or, you know, or <laughs> Fort Bragg, and, um, and then we all deploy from there. And, um, ha- you know, we have that experience together. But what's different is when we redeploy or come back from the Oconus environment, we were pretty much on our own, or at least I was. I was pretty much alone and unafraid. Um, I was back to being one of one. So it was the end of my contract uh, from my first deployment. So I was part of the Great Surge um, into Iraq. And as you can imagine, as an Arabic speaker, I had a lot of work, Yeah, had a lot to do. Um, but then afterwards, I, I went back home, which we were actually, my husband's still active duty. Um, so we were stationed here in San Antonio, and I came back home and was pretty lost. Wow. I don't know what that's like. I I, um, I never did, you know, I didn't deploy. I, was, I got out of the service in 95. So that was way before anything. We did, uh, we were supposed to go to the first Gulf War. Mm-hmm. Uh, but we broke down between San Diego and mm-hmm. Hawaii. We were closer to Hawaii, but they brought us back to Long Beach. And so that was pretty traumatic. Long Beach is trauma. Uh, it's, it's a horrible place. Oh. <laughs> and uh, where, where we were at, the shipyard, when you woke up every morning, you could smell the fish factory from across the way. And uh, and it was a pretty rough area. It was Oakland. You know, Oakland's pretty pretty rough right there. But we were all really disheartened because we didn't get to go overseas. Turns out that the ship that took our place, they ended up hitting a mine, a floating mine. They tore up the ship. I think a couple of, they lost a couple of sailors. And so, you know, to me, uh, God's got a plan for each one of us. Mm-hmm. And there's a reason why I didn't go. And, uh, and it, it, you know, it, it's a blessing. It, not so much for the guys that went, but it's definitely a blessing for me. Uh, I'm, I'm here. I'm doing what, you know, what I'm doing today. And so I'm really happy about that, but uh, it's different, you know, than deploying yeah. and and well, uh, yeah, it's tough. It's tough deploying as an augmentee. Yeah. At least it was for me, um, because I had that camaraderie. I was with a unit, and then back to being one of one, and I wasn't adjusting really well back into civilian life. And so I did what what I thought would be the smart thing to. I'm like, oh, I'll just go back, and uh, so I went back as a civilian contractor. Okay. And then on my third deployment, I went as a GS civilian, so a government civilian. Right. Um, and those were all, you know, I, I think I had this fantasy at the time that somehow I would do it better. Mm. I would do it better if I could kind of have this great do-over. And, um, and that really wasn't a thing. <laughs> and um, 
so after my after my third trip uh, to Iraq, I was I was living in Germany at the time, and I come back as government civilian, and I was I wasn't okay. I was drinking all the time, um, even even heavy alcohol for Germany. Um, I was suicidal. I was blowing up my perfectly good relationships. My I'm, my husband's amazing. I can't believe he's he stuck around and he's just <laughs> great with me still. Um, and I, I just wasn't okay and uh, had an incident at work and I was finally told to go to mental health. Wow. And um, and that happens to a lot of us. You know, you get volatile to go and boom, before you know it, you're on the fourth floor. And I was really thankful, though, because I knew something was wrong. I knew that I was not okay. And I knew I needed help. I just didn't know what was wrong. I mean, but this is in 2008. So we, you know, we didn't have weren't an acronym. We weren't there yet. Right. Um, and I went and I saw an active duty male colonel uh, it, there in the hospital. He's what we call a slick sleeve. So that means that he didn't have a combat patch. That's kind of, I guess that's kind of <laughs> some army jargon for you. But I was so thankful. And I, you know, because I, the, the deployments were hard. And uh, poured my heart out for about 60 minutes. And at the end of that time, he sat down. He looked right at me and he eyeballed me. He said, you know, Virginia, I can tell you're really struggling, but... I can't help you if you don't choose to be honest with me. I was really confused by that. So I asked for some clarity and he said, Hey, oh, we all know women don't deploy. Yeah. That didn't end well. So, wow. but to make, so, and you know, gaslighting within, within mental health and for it happens. That's it, terrible. It is. But it's not a one-off, you know, I, that was, my gosh, I don't do math in public, but that was, you know, what, 2008, 14 years ago. And I realized at that moment, Jose, that if I don't figure this out, I'm going to die. I'm going to die. I'm either going to kill myself. I don't know what's going on. I am going to die. I need to figure this out. And uh, ended up going uh, back to graduate school and became a mental health practitioner. Didn't figure my own stuff out. Took took me years to figure that out. But I started on this journey, and here I am 14 years later talking with you. So let me ask you, was it the deployments? Was it the trauma that you experienced, the struggle that you went through, even when you came back? Is that what said you said, hey, I'm going to go to school for this? But was that a, a conscious thing to... I can fix myself later? Or was that just, I want to help other people? No, it was completely selfish. Okay. It was, if I don't figure out what this is, this is going to kill me. My husband's going to end up a widow. Um, this, this just is not okay. I need to figure out what is going on. And, uh, and that was the start of a really long journey for me, a long recovery journey. Um, and I'm so thankful. And now, you know, here 14 years later, I get to drink coffee and Seguin with you, which I love. <laughs> but, you know, it was a, it was a tough journey. And um, one of my first gigs out of graduate school is I, um, right here in the San Antonio area, I got to work in an inpatient hospital with active duty service members. And I got, I got a teaching gig 
which is so sweet. Oh, and so I was teaching about PTSD and I got this really wonderful curriculum and it talked all about the, you know, the frontal lobes and the amygdala and the autonomic nervous system and all the different parts of the brain and how, and my students just shut down they were shutting down because you know i had a great nco who used to always say you know are you picking up what i'm putting down and they were not picking up was it because i was just putting down a bunch of cycle babble and it really wasn't working and so i was like oh no no this this is not it so i reworked my own curriculum and oh. and i said you know it, if i'm going to spend my time here then i'm going to do it the way i want to do it. i'm going to talk about you know, what PTSD is, like, really. Now, you don't have to have a master's degree to figure out what PTSD is. You know, if we can train an 18-year-old, uh, you know, sailor to fix a fighter jet, if, if we can we can teach an 18-year-old how, how to fly drones, if, you know, yeah. I mean, we can teach people about PTSD in a way that they can pick up what we're putting down. And so... I just decided to to talk from the heart talk and and i remembered what is it that i needed to know what is it that i wish i had known before i went into that colonel's office mm. and what i needed was a really specific course of action i needed to know am i crazy just no am i batshit tell me true am i losing it is there recovery from this what what is this what are these symptoms what does this mean can i recover then i needed a course of action all right so i've this is what i've got what do i do about it so you know talking about the the different evidence-based treatments how they work how how often they work they're incredibly effective they work for most people most of the time and they do so between 10 and 15 sessions so if you're going every week that's three to four months. And that's not a lot of time to reclaim your life. Then I needed to know, okay, so I know what the evidence-based treatments are. How do I find a therapist? How can I find a no king therapist, somebody to sit down and eyeball them and, and have this connection? How do I talk to my family about, about getting help? Um, because it's fa family members know I had, oh, I had a wonderful conversation this morning with the folks over at uh, Millhouse Spouse and uh, Mill Spouse House. Sorry, <laughs> I mixed it around and just, you know, military spouses, military families. You know, we think that we're keeping our, our mental health disorders from them, but they know. So how do we start that conversation? How do we talk to the people we love about our PTSD and about getting help? Then moreover, how do we talk to the people that we don't love so much. How do we talk to HR? <laughs> I'm not kidding. Yeah. How do we talk to HR? <laughs> How do we talk to our security manager if you work in a in a, a skift facility? Yeah. How do you talk to your boss? How How do you talk to the people who maybe aren't all that in for us? And how do I keep from relapsing? So, whoops. Sorry. That's all right. You're popular. <laughs> You're more popular than I am. But, uh, you know, how do I keep from relapsing? So when we talk about relapse, a lot of times people think about drugs and alcohol. But relapse just means going to an earlier point in our recovery process. So we can relapse with PTSD. We can relapse with depression, with anxiety. 
It doesn't mean we're broken. It doesn't mean that we're back at square one. We just need a tweak. Mm. So what do I do if relapse happens? How do I keep from relapsing? And, uh, and the data are very clear. What we need is social support. That's what therapists like me call friends. <laughs> you know, how, how do I make friends when I'm not in the military anymore? Yeah. You know, my fire team, they had to be my friends. They didn't have a choice because we were there. We were in it. You're stuck with me. But how do I make friends outside of the military without seeming like that guy? How can I make friends? And, um, and loved that job and left it. And my, my students, Scott Mendoza, kept up on me. And they said, you got to put this in a book. Yeah, I had this in a book. We need this for people. And so I wrote this for, this is the Soldier's Guide to PTSD. And I wrote this for them. So this is, this is my love letter to my students. This is my, my book to them. Um, because if I had had this before I walked into that office, it, it absolutely would have saved me a lot of heartache. I'd love to read the intro. Absolutely. If that be okay. Absolutely. I'm going to look at some of the comments to see if anybody's asking questions. I don't know how I'm going to do oh, this because. Uh, I hope so because I, I told our folks. And if you're out there in Facebook land, Soldier's Guide fans, ask me something to make me look smart because you got to help me <laughs> out, man. But let me go ahead. I, I'd love to read the introduction because I'm going to be straight with you. This book isn't for everybody. But it might be for you. So let me read this out loud. Dear soldier, so we don't know each other. I only know that you've picked up this book and for the moment you're reading it. I appreciate that because talking about PTSD is my thing. After my third deployment, I was definitely not okay and no one knew how to help me. My chain of command, my doctors, my family, or me. I worked hard to get better, and I made lots of mistakes along the way. Eventually, I got my master's degree in mental health counseling, and I started teaching troops. I am convinced that when we know the no-shit facts about PTSD, we make more informed choices and get better faster. I'm going to write this book directly to you as if you were sitting in my class. My classes can feel uncomfortable. PTSD is an unpleasant topic and people don't like to talk about it. And I get that, but it's not good for us. Your life is at stake, my friend, and I'm not gonna fuck around. I intend to be as straightforward as I know how because I know that PTSD can kill you. We're going to talk about suicide, war crimes, depression, relationships, and more. See, I'm one of those therapists who came to the profession later in life. And I'm not here to waste time. I'm going to teach you everything that I wish I knew when I started on my own journey. And while you're not going to like it, it's probably what you need to hear. I know PTSD is an ass kicker. And I realize you might not be up to reading a book, but maybe you could try this one. I'll keep it short. Another reason I wrote this book is that many service members know they have PTSD, but don't know what to do about it. Maybe we believe lies like PTSD never goes away and continue to feel hopeless. This book might find its hands into a way rather into the hands of someone who never knew help was there and it may show them where to find it. One last thing, I swear a little. I wanna say that up front because a lot of folks are uncomfortable with coarse language and that is completely okay. I respect it. 
and this isn't the right book for you. I don't swear because I'm trying to be cool or provocative and I'm not trying to hurt your feelings or make you sad on the inside. Calm down. But not swearing isn't authentic for me because nothing less than your life is at stake. I'm not going to apologize for what I have to say. Listen, there are a lot of great guides out there for civilians and for clinicians, but this book, this book's for service members. It's from one soldier to another. It's from me to you. Because if someone had given me this book back in 2005, it would have saved me years of bullshit. Yours sincerely, Virginia Cruz. <laughs> That's awesome. Uh, so I'm going to share some comments with you. Oh, uh, Frank, uh, who is a Marine veteran uh, from California, uh, he actually created uh, Crayons Ready to Eat, CREs. Uh, they're legitimate chocolate crayons and he just, they're just, he just got the co-packer and everybody lined up. So they're going to be on the market very soon. They're actually for sale now, pre-sale. Um, and then another friend of mine, Ty, um, Ty, he's a young man who's not in the military yet. I, I don't know if he's going to the military or what, but he's, he lives up in the, in the, in a Washington, I think Oregon area. And he runs every day for veterans and he finds a veteran who's maybe lost their battle with PTSD or whatever, and he runs for them. And he, oh, he names that. them, and he puts pictures of them. And he asked, would your book help a civilian to understand and help support people with PTSD? I think so. Um, and what's his first name again? Ty E. Ty E. Yeah. Thank you so much for your question, Ty E. I really, I really value you taking the time to chime in. Um, I think the, one of the hardest things about mental health writ large and not just PTSD, but just mental health is that, you know, sometimes it feels like you have to have a master's degree or a PhD in, in order to understand it. And so uh, the soldier's guide is really to break it down. It, you know, we need things in bite-sized pieces. So it is, you know, this is not written from a clinician to a clinician. So a lot of times, I remember when I was first diagnosed with PTSD, I'll just tell you my story. I had no idea what that was. And so I went to Dr. Google. Don't do that. Don't do that. It's like going to WebMD. And I, you know, I, it, the information was just so hard for me personally to, di to digest. I didn't understand. I wasn't able to pick up what they were putting down. It was, it, it was, they were, it was just really in depth. And this is a really simple guide. It's, um, it's pretty short. Um, one of the first things that we did is we made it into an audiobook. and Kelly Taker, who is an amazing voice actress. Um, you don't have to listen to me. I promise. Um, actually did the recording. And that's because, I mean, I'll just speak for myself. I very rarely read books. I'm, I'm an audio learner and, um, you know, not all of us have time to read a book, but we all pretty much have a commute. Um, I know I got to, to listen to a lot of books on the way up here to Seguin from the Valley today and, um, you know, just want to make it, it available for folks. So the, the idea is I want you to be picking up what we're putting down and to learn more about uh, PTSD, I would encourage you to go to our blog. It's the soldiersblog.com. And you can actually download a free copy of our quick start guide from there. 
And what that is, it's the first two chapters of the book, and it talks about what I wish I could give to absolutely everyone. And that is what PTSD isn't. So some of the rumors that are really strong that keep us from getting treatment and what PTSD is. And so we go line by line through the diagnosis and we do a translation from clinician into real English and pretty soon real Spanish because we're having it trained. We just had it translated. <laughs> so I'm awesome. very excited about that. So you can uh, download that for free, make copies, send it to everyone you know. Everyone deserves to, to reclaim their lives from PTSD. And this, book, this is really a book about hope because what we know is there are three evidence-based treatments for PTSD. Because they're evidence-based, uh, that means that they're, they're available pretty much, it's ubiquitous, pretty much anywhere, any VA, any military mental health um, station, you can find those three evidence-based treatments. And that's prolonged exposure, cognitive processing therapy, and something called EMDR. So that's eye movement desensitization and reprocessing. Now, those aren't the only three uh, evidence-based treatments for PTSD, but they are the three that are approved by the Department of Veterans Affairs. And that behemoth is really hard to get moving. And so since they're approved by the VA, um, they are widely available. Now, I... I want to put this into perspective because a, a lot of folks really believe, Jose, that, you know, that getting treatment is going to, you know, that the cure is worse than the disease. You know, a lot of folks believe that, that, um, you know, if I get an evidence-based treatment for PTSD, I'm just going to have to remember everything. I'm going to be worse off than I was. And, if we don't finish the PTSD treatment, you know, let's say we only do a couple sessions, that can be the case. Oh, wow. That absolutely can be the case. But what we know is this, is that evidence-based treatments, EBTs, because if it's not an acronym, it's not real. <laughs> so right. if, if it's an evidence-based treatment works most of the time for most people. So if we just use the Pareto rule, we say 80-20. So we've got those three courses of action. So you got COA alpha, you know, course of action A, um, you know, the cognitive processing therapy. Let's say you, you go in for that and it doesn't work. You're an outlier. You're part of the 20%. Well, that's fine. We expect there to be, it doesn't work for everyone. It works for most people. So we know there's going to be a certain number. We go to COA Bravo. Let's say that doesn't work. We go to COA Charlie. That doesn't work. Well, then we've got a lot of information. We know a couple things. First of all, it doesn't mean you're food bar. You're not done. You're not done. So these three evidence-based treatments didn't work for you. And that means that could mean a couple things. It could mean, number one, we, we have the wrong diagnosis. Maybe you don't have PTSD. Maybe you have panic disorder. Um, similar, not same. Um, Maybe you are dealing with complex trauma. Maybe this is something, you know, trauma, unfortunately, is ubiquitous all over North America. And, um, you know, again, a lot of us are coming from, or at least I'll, I'll just speak for myself. I came from a really low SES, not a lot of opportunity, lower socioeconomic system. I, I joined the military to get a chance, to, to get a shot. Yeah. 
And those of us who grow up in dangerous places or low socioeconomic status, there's a lot going on there. So we may have trauma from before that we have to work through. Maybe we have what we call a co-occurring disorder. So co-occurring disorders, so PTSD um, always comes to the party with friends. Okay. It never shows up on its own. It's one, it's one of the only, uh, only things that does this. So in my practice, the things that I most often see is a co-occurring coming at the same time disorder with PTSD is drug or alcohol abuse, anxiety, depression, OCD, that means obsessive compulsive disorders, and eating disorders. Eating disorders, especially for men and especially for the, for the special warfare community. So this is binge eating, purging, uh, anorexia, and we see it a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot. So um, I want to, so what will happen is often, you know, we think about fruits, you know, roots and fruits, you know, in this case, if the root is trauma, what the fruit will be might be a DUI. It might be, um, panic attacks. That might be, when I say fruit, it's what we see on the outside. It's not necessarily what's in the ground and what we know. Does right. that make sense? Yes. So, you know, what we might see is the severe depression, not wanting to get out of bed, not wanting to shower, not wanting to do anything. And this may be rooted in trauma. So mm -hmm. maybe we have to work on something else if those three evidence-based treatments don't work. And I do want to be really Pacific, as opposed to being Atlantic, is that these evidence-based treatments work most of the time for most people. And if they don't work, you might have something called treatment-resistant PTSD also. And um, the folks right here in San Antonio, or right there in San Antonio, <laughs> yeah. at UT Health Science Center is the DOD Center for Excellence for PTSD Research. It's called StrongStar. You can find more about them at strongstar.org. These are amazing researchers and amazing human beings who, who are spending their life and devoting all of their energy to finding different ways to treat PTSD. So they're using uh, things like the God Shot, the stellate ganglion block. They're using uh, MDMA-assisted therapy. They're using um, co-joint couples therapy. So there are a lot of different ways to skin this cat. You are not stuck. You are not stuck. Your evidence-based treatments, again, you're going to know within 10 to 15 sessions if that has worked for you. And you got nothing to lose. You really have nothing to lose except your trauma. That is awesome. Uh, Joe's watching, one of my friends, Joe, and I know sometimes he has, uh, you know, he struggles with stuff. Joe, if you got any questions, you know, ask while we're is live. Is this Joe the yeah, prayer yeah, and the yeah. hand and the heart? Joe is back a at you, brother. highly motivated Marine, and uh, he's just, uh, he's like a cheerleader for all of us. Uh, when we built this shop, it was built by a bunch of veterans. Mm -hmm. uh, it was Joe's... Uh, manifestation of an idea that was put out in one of the groups mm -hmm. and Joe took it and ran with it and decided that we were going to help each other and we were going to do it in a physical way. And so uh, five or six guys from the tribe all showed up at the house on a Saturday 
and literally framed everything out. And then a few, probably a month later, most of the guys came back and we finished the insulation, finished the roofing. Uh, still a lot to do, still, still not finished. Uh, but, you know, he kind of got that in motion. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and so now we all talk all the time. We're always supporting each other. And, uh, you know, sometimes we struggle with stuff and, and it's, it's uh he's just an awesome guy he's just super super highly motivated all the time but uh he always has great questions that's why i told him i said hey ask something <laughs> you know I'm, I'm glad you said that and thank you so much for tuning in i i really you know like talking about ptsd is totally my thing so i'm really happy you're all here i wonder if we can talk about how to make friends that'd be great i think that's a big issue with most of us yeah. <laughs> So, um, there's a, there's a chapter, uh, I think it's chapter nine here in the book that we talk about making friends and it's, this is really uncomfortable, but you know, I'm a therapist, so I do not come pre-installed with feelings. So <laughs> this is, we're just, we're just going, we're just going to go. So what we know is that the number one factor in relapse prevention is social support. I'm going to say that again for the folks in the back. The number one factor in relapse prevention is social support. Now, like Jose and I were talking about earlier, relapse isn't just for drugs and alcohol. That would be nice, although relapsing with drugs and alcohol is pretty awful. But we can relapse even with physical ailments. If you've ever like twisted an ankle or you're like, oh, you know, my shoulder again, we can relapse physically. We can do it with PTSD also. We saw a lot of this just this past August. Can, can we go there? Sure. You know, if you're already in the ocean over your head, does it really matter how much deeper you go in the water? No. No. Okay. <laughs> so this past August was the Afghanistan withdrawal. And it was a real triggering event for a lot of us. A lot of us and a lot of our family members also. We need to be very real about that. And we saw a lot of people come into therapy for the very first time. And I'm talking to my Vietnam brother, vet brothers and sisters out there. We saw a lot of our Vietnam vets coming in and getting therapy for the very first time because they had held on to, you know, their sanity, so to speak, or really, you know, were able to just keep their head down and able to take care of their business, take care of their work, avoid really thinking about everything that happened in Vietnam. And that was a, that was a shit war. Oh my God. Horrible. And, and you know what? I, um, I just, I got such a heart for Vietnam vets. The first time I deployed with the reserve with the, with the 300, a bunch of Vietnam vets came out to the airport to, to, and this was in Maine up in like, northern new england like in the like i didn't even know there were people and all of these uh all these vietnam vets showed up and thank god they did because i mean i'll just speak for myself i was scared shitless and back then they were saying oh don't worry it's going to be like the first gulf war we'll, we'll be back in 30 days you'll see it's going to be just like the first time and y'all sat with us and you gave me donuts and <laughs> If you just want to talk to my heart is pastries, <laughs> pastries, and and really talk to me in a way that was really validating and honoring. And when I came back from that deployment, y'all were there to make sure that we didn't get spit on or yelled at any of the things that happened to you when you redeployed. 
And um, I'm profoundly, I, I'm getting choked up just thinking about it. I am so thankful for that. And, you know, relapse happens, you know, and thank, thanks to our Vietnam vets for doing that. And I got a little off track and I'm sorry, I'm, I'm, zooming, I'm zooming back to you, brother. <laughs> um, but relapse happens. And it especially happens when we don't have friends, when we don't have a group of friends to talk with, when we don't have social support. Now, social support comes in a lot of different flavors. It doesn't just mean friends, although it can. Um, having friends, having family members, uh, we can talk to having a good church community, having a good community of faith. Um, even atheists have really awesome meetup groups where you can get together and just talk about your beliefs. Uh, we have 12 step groups. We have, there's so much support out there, but if we're going to, to keep from relapsing after we get our PTSD treatment, it's really important that we, actively seek and make friends. Now let's talk about that for a minute because it's weird. So <laughs> I'm a woman. I can go up to another woman and be like, girl, I love your blouse. I love your earrings. And boom, we're friends. We're friends. <laughs> and we're going to be able to talk and I'll be like, hey, can I give you my number and we'll hang out? Guys can't do that. No. Or I mean, you can, but it might feel really strange. It might feel really odd. And for women too. When we were in the military, we could really connect with folks because again, you're stuck with me. <laughs> you got me for 365 boots on the ground. You better learn to love me because I'm, I'm not going anywhere. But making friends outside of the military is really difficult. But, and it's not a choice. I want to be really clear. If we could... If we could recover from PTSD on our own, we already would have done that. Mm. Wow. What we're doing isn't working. It's not working. Oh, this just got hurt feelings. Can we go there? Sure. All right. When we say 22 a day, and we all know what that means. I don't, we don't even need to put an asterisk or something and, and say right. what that is in the notes. We all know what that is. And it's not going down. So what that tells me is what we're doing isn't working. It's not working. Every, every veteran's fantasy, or I'll just, I'll just speak personally, because I know none of you feel this way. My fantasy was, you know what? I'm going to get better with my PTC, but I'm going to do it on my way and my terms. How's that working for you, bro? Really, how is that working for you? Mm. And it probably isn't. You wouldn't go out on a convoy without your fire team. You wouldn't. You would bring your entire fire team with you. Don't go bergdolling it out in the rough. Don't be alone and unafraid. Get your fire team. Surround yourself with a community of support. So that's the big idea. But how do we actually do that? Mm. How do we do that? So the key is we need to go. How do, how do we make... So there's kind of three types of friends. And I steal this from my cousin, Mark Jackson, because he is he's low-key genius. Brilliant. Three types of friends. So you got like people you meet just one time. You know, maybe you work with them. Probably don't want to hang out with them. Then you got your ride or die. These are your friends that you're, you're in it. These are your battle buddies. These are people you deployed with. These are your ride or die friends. But what we need is in-between friends. Somebody who is a little bit more than just, you know, the mailman. Hey, how you doing? 
but isn't a ride or die, maybe not yet. So how do we make in-between friends? And the way we do it is we have to go places where other people are also going on their own, not a group activity, to make in-between friends, to make in-between friends. And so uh, I make a lot of recommendations in the book about this. And I think one of the most powerful ways that we can do that is through meetup groups. So there's, um, there, there's a, there was, uh, even, even in the pandemic, although a lot of these are virtual now, you can go to meetup.com, meet, M-E-E-T is in tango, up.com, and you can find a, a meetup group for pretty much anything. You can find uh, a book group. You can find a ladies bunko group, although those ladies are dangerous and cutthroat. So (laughs) you're warned, you're warned. You can find a group of folks who want to fish, go to museums, uh, talk art, you know, but it is, you are going, you are one of one. It's not you and your partner or you and your spouse. You are going one-on-one and there is an expectation that everyone else, everyone else there has been the FNG before. You, you don't have to be, you, they've all been the new guy and they are going to work to invite you back. And that's what we're looking for is where can I go and be truly welcomed? Going to a, a place of worship, you know, hopefully the place of worship that you choose is going to invite you back or me. You not all of them do and that's okay. <laughs> um, maybe it's a 12 step group. I think one Mm. of the best things to happen with (laughs) the best, like the only good thing to happen with the pandemic is that um, 12 step groups have pretty much all gone online. You can go to AA.org or AA online intergroup. And there is literally an AA group starting on zoom every 15 minutes somewhere around the world. There's, you can find, you know, if you are, if you are craving a drink at midnight, you can go ahead and pick up the 8 a.m. meeting in London. No subtitles, though. I, he heard it here first. <laughs> <laughs> he, he might be walking into some really shady stuff out there. It's just really hard to understand sometimes, for me at least. Um, finding different activities, finding a book club, a kayaking group. Um, there are civic support groups that I think are very important. Now let's let's talk about that because our our civic support groups unfortunately are not always friendly to to women to persons of color to folks who identify as members of the queer community. Get in where you fit in. You can find um, you're an entrepreneur. There are entrepreneur there are veterans entrepreneur groups. <laughs> yep. <laughs> now where did, can I ask where'd you meet your group? Where'd you meet your friend? In the Vetpreneur Tribe, Veteran Entrepreneur Group. And how did you find that group? Uh, just doing a search for veterans who were entrepreneurs, and like-minded boom. people. Yeah. Yep. Now, when you went to that first meeting, did you go by yourself, or did you bring a friend, or how'd you how'd you make it happen? Most of us didn't do anything until the pandemic hit, and then we got we did the zooms, and then it was much easier. And it's less, you know, confrontational. You don't have to actually go see somebody. Oh, and, that is nice. You know, I it's hate just to admit like, it. I don't have to go. I can just get online and, you know, 
got nothing else to do. It's pandemic. Right. Yeah. But uh, Joe says something here. Uh, I like what he asks because oh, I think I that feeds that into this. Oh, I love that you think I can see that. Oh. <laughs> That's so cute. It says, Virginia, do you think uh, that though it's the thought, it's hard to make friends is a false belief? Hmm. Do I think the thought is a, is a false belief? That it's hard to make, the thought, I guess that it's hard to make friends well, for people. In terms of PTSD, we have to be very real about that. So PTSD warps our fundamental belief systems. And we know this from the research. So PTSD will change the way we feel about ourselves, other people, and the world. So we do have a very, you know, PTSD can warp our fundamental belief system. It can make us believe uh, you know, all sorts of negative thoughts that, you know, of course nobody wants to hang out with me. Um, Maybe it'll give us a lot of worries. You know, what if I go to this meetup group and I have a panic attack and I have to be taken out by ambulance? What if I go and nobody talks to me? What if I go to this group and they find out I'm a veteran and they think I'm crazy? You know, there there are a lot of things, unfortunately, um, that we are always our, I mean, I'm my hardest critic. And my clients are their hardest critics. It, you know, it to say I, I wanna I wanna kind of try to line there because I, I think when we say, you know, well, that's all in your head. It's not really hard to make friends. You just gotta get out of your own way. That 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 can be really simplifying. And and I don't think that that you're being ultra simple. I, I just want to make friends is hard. Recovery from mental illness is hard. Having the courage to go to a meetup group for entrepreneurs is hard. Starting your own business is hard. The pandemic is hard. This shit ain't easy, friends. I'm not <laughs> oh, kidding. It's not. This is not easy. It's not. And what I want to encourage anybody who's really worried about that is give yourself some grace. This is not just hard for you. This is hard for everybody. There are a lot of us who who don't believe that we deserve to have friends. We don't believe that we deserve to get treatment. Um, and that's that's not easy. And again, because PTSD, because it, it warps our fundamental belief system, it's really possible that those negative self-beliefs, the things that we're telling ourselves, it's possible that that's part of the PTSD. It might not necessarily be us, or it might be a sliver of truth and it's exacerbated by our PTSD or our anxiety or our depression. And so what I would want to ask you, if you were sitting in my office and eyeballing me, is I would ask you, you know, is it, is it possible that you're wrong? Is it possible that you are a lot stronger than you think you are. Have you ever done something before that you thought was absolutely impossible and you did it anyway? You were afraid and you did it anyway. Is it possible? I'm not saying, you know, go out and start shaking hands and go make friends. I'm saying, you know, if you are telling yourself right now 
I can't make friends because I'm fundamentally broken because of my experience. I can't get married because I was raped as a child. I can't have relationships because every time I talk to someone, it reminds me of the person who molested me. Mm -hmm. I, the, and these are very common, what we call stuck points in cognitive processing therapy. These are things that we tell ourselves and we tell ourselves so many times that it becomes a truth for us, for us. And a big part of treatment is teaching veterans and teaching all of us how to analyze those stuck points. And, and just to ask, you know, yeah, that's how we feel, but feelings aren't facts. Feelings are not facts. Wow. And is it possible that we're wrong? Is it possible that there's a, a greater truth? But I'm not going to lie to you. This this isn't easy. It's it, not easy. Joe says, but what if I go and I have a, it's a great time? Yeah. What if? You know, it's hard. For, um, you know, I, I worked, I'm, I'm particularly thinking of, of someone that I worked with who had panic disorder. And it went uh, undiagnosed for a long time because it looked a lot like PTSD and we couldn't understand why we couldn't get, we could just never get to the root of it. And then finally, um, you know, we, we got him to, um, you know, because I'm wrong all the time and I'm so happy to refer out. We got him to someone who said, you know what, let's, let's test for this. We got him to a, um, it, it, over at university of Florida, we got him into a panic clinic and it, once we have a good diagnosis, we can fix it. If we don't have a good diagnosis, we're just kind of stabbing in the dark. We're just stabbing in the dark. I think that's why it's important to, when it comes to mental health. Um, this is kind of like one of my favorite little secrets for mental health. We specialize. So mental health professionals, we, like I'm a one trick pony, friends. I'm not going to lie to you. So I do military mental health, I do PTSD, I do moral injury. I'm not really good at anything else. I'm just not. Can I, you know, treat for depression or anxiety? Sure. But you would probably do a lot better to go to a no kidding anxiety or depression specialist because that is what they do. That's what they do 24 hours a day. You know, it's, you know, you, you roast coffee. If I need someone to hang my drywall, although I got to tell you. <laughs> it's a group effort. This is pretty good. All right. But go to somebody who specializes in that. Go to someone who specializes in it. Um, because we keep up on the research. Because we we're connect we all know each other. There's only a few, there's only like a few hundred of us in the country. We all know each other. We all go to the same conferences. Um Find a specialist, find a specialist because it, let's say you've, let's say you've, say you've got a broken arm. Let's say you're, you're putting in some insulation here with your buddies and uh, one of them falls off the ladder and boom, before we know it, his arm is off at a really crazy angle. And by some miracle of amnesia, nobody can figure out what's wrong. 
And then you take him to the emergency room and you see a first year resident, save your hate mail, send it to Jose, my first year resident friends. You know, I love you, BMC. Um, But let's say you see a first year resident and they've never seen a broken arm before. And they say, you know what? Not really sure what all that is, but every time I send someone to the chiropractor, give them a little massage, a little stimulation, they feel great. Have you ever been to one? No. Oh my God. Life changer. <laughs> Life changer. Go. Go. So, so they send you to, to the chiropractor and for a while you actually feel good because you know, you're moving around, you're a little more labile, but your arm is still broken. So you're going to be back in the emergency room getting your arm reset and maybe it it and what we know about prones is that sometimes we have to re-break them and reset them and it's a painful and awful process i've heard i don't know for sure um but just imagine that it's the same thing with mental health and and that's why it's so important to know that ptsd always comes to the party with friends so if we go in and we get treatment for obsessive compulsive disorder and eating disorder, talking to you, special warfare community, eating disorders, for real, or anxiety, um, and we get treated for that, but we don't treat the underlying cause, that trauma, because we remember the roots and the fruits. Mm. You're going to be back because your arm is still broken. Your arm is still broken. And so it's really, I think it's really important to seek out a specialist when it comes to treating trauma. That's really awesome. I know that, uh, you know, our community is so small anyway, when you really look at the overall and then the, the amount of guys and gals that struggle, mm-hmm. I think is a large percentage of that. You know, my, my dad and my uncle, my uncle was a Vietnam vet. My dad was in in the fifties. And I know that they suffered with stuff their whole life, Mm -hmm. but nobody ever diagnosed it. Nobody ever treated it. Cause when dad was in, it was just shell shock. You just sucked it up and went on. Just shell shock. Yeah. It was just shell shock. Ah, you just got shell shock. You'll be all right. Go ahead. And he killed somebody. We found out probably about two years before he died. You know, he finally, my wife is one not to shy away from asking people crazy questions. And she finally asked, Dad, what? Why are you so? Why you always drink like you do? Mm-hmm. And he told her. He looked at her like, okay. And he said, "Well, I killed a guy that I knew. He violated all the protocol, and I was ordered to fire, and I did. I did my job. I did exactly what I was told to. Because mm-hmm. then I've regretted it ever since. Oh. You know. But how do you get to the? You know, I'm so glad that we at least are doing so much of a better job. You know, my uncle was Vietnam, same thing, self-medicated for many years, mm-hmm. never did talk about it. Um, you know, just a horrible part of his life and uh, struggled, I mean, you know, for many, 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 many years. And a lot of people do the same thing. And even now, I know guys that are our age that are, you know, they're doing the same thing. And just to avoid it, I'm just going to go crawl into this bottle or I'm going to go. Mm-hmm. Um I, I know one of the questions I wanted to ask you about, about what you do is what you feel about plant medicine, because a lot of veterans are looking at plant medicine to get away from drugs, taking mm-hmm. drugs, you know, and I don't know. What do you think about that? I think whatever works, works. Mm. You know, I'm, 
If you're, I mean, if you're looking for judgment, you came to the wrong check. <laughs> I mean, really, it is, um, I think it's so important to try, you know, all, all roads lead to Rome. If you find something that works for you, if painting works for you and that makes you feel calm, what, don't give anyone else the, the, that, don't let anyone else have that power. It works for you. If prayer meditation works for you, it works for you. If hiking, if like your friend who runs to, you know, and, and that works for him and he celebrates and honors those veterans. So with plant-based medicine, do you mean um, like cannabis or are you talking MDMA or? A lot of guys yeah. uh, do cannabis a lot, but a lot of guys are talking now about microdosing uh, mushrooms and things like that as mm -hmm. a way to, uh, you know, treat. PTSD versus, and I've got a couple of friends who have pictures where they went to the VA and they gave them this and then that caused this yeah. and then that caused this. And before you know it, they've got a bag full of, you know, kaleidoscope color pills mm -hmm. and they'd rather die than take them, you I know? And so, uh, I don't know. I mean, I really think I don't have a problem with it. I mean, I've never been... Mm -hmm. One that I feel like, a, hey, I need to, you know, I, I, I do use uh, CBD to sleep because, you know, I've just always been one that, you know, my brain doesn't stop when I lay down. And so I use that. But, you know, there's guys that really have, you know, been to combat and they've got stuff that they're dealing with. And that works for them. You know, it's better than. And, and personally, when I had my knee surgery, I was taking hydrocodone. It's taking it uh, two pills twice a day is what they prescribed. I was taking it two pills every, every two hours. And my wife called her friend and said, listen, he's going to overdose. Yeah. yeah. So I need help. And mm -hmm. so she came over <clears throat> with three different pills that she makes all natural, every one of them. And in three days I quit taking hydrocodone altogether and I was completely out of pain. And so I'm a proponent of plant and medicine, you know, as far as that goes, natural mm -hmm. remedies, but I don't know if that's the best thing for everybody, you know? You know, the re the research, the laws haven't caught up to the research. And there's a lot of, you know, we're still in research phases. Now, keep in mind, to for something to be pretty much FDA approved or be approved by the VA, I mean, we they're longitudinal studies. So these are over the course of decades with mm. thousands of veterans. We can't have an end of one, meaning it, well, it worked for, it worked for Jose, it worked for Virginia. Yeah. So we have to have a much like an end of a thousand. We have to have, and they're doing that research. They're doing it right at UT Health Science Center, right here in San, and right there in San Antonio. That's awesome. I'm so, I'm so proud of the work that researchers are doing um, to look at MDMA, to look at cannabis, to look at the Stella ganglion block. Because if you're not cheating, you're just not trying. What we're doing isn't working. Right. What we're doing isn't working. Right. Having having the kaleidoscope pill color bag isn't working. It's yeah. making addicts. Yeah. You know, I've struggled with addiction. Um, so I know for me, cannabis is a no-go. I'll smoke it all and I'll go look for more. I mean, <laughs> I know myself, but I know myself and I know right. I know my addiction and, and my sponsor would jump me. So I'm not going there. Right. But, you know... It, we have to try something else. If what it, insanity, 
You know, they say the definition of insanity, doing the same thing over and over and expecting different results. Right. If we've been talking about 22 a day for the last 20 years, what the what? Come on. We're doing something wrong. We're doing something wrong. So we need to try something else. And what works for you might not work for me. What works for me? And you know what? So what? I think I think when it comes to PTSD treatment and uh, plant-based medicine, we can get to real dichotomous thinking. It's all yes or all no. It's all bad. It's all good. You know that that's just not how life works. There is a lot of lot of in between. There is a lot of in between. And I, and I understand, you know, that it feels good to feel like, oh, well, this is bad and I'm not going to do it. It's evil. Come on. Yeah. You know, it's. I think we're so far behind the uh, the eight ball, so to speak, on on that because. Unintended with drugs? Well, no? yeah. Well, I mean. Sorry. T- too soon. Too soon. <laughs> took me a minute to catch okay. that, but yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I, I just feel like um, the, our country always needs a war. Whether we're physically overseas, boots on the ground, or here. Because, you know, the politicians are going to do what they're going to do. And they and they and we need something to constantly be spending money and fighting. And so I think when they did the war on drugs, a lot of really good plant-based medicines that could help people all got drug into, you know, oh, this is all evil. Yes, this is all evil. We're going to, you know, it's all no good. You can't do that. No, you can't even talk about it because it's taboo, right? Oh, all those vetters are just a bunch of potheads. Well, no, they're not, you know, and if it saves somebody's life, if somebody can do that and say, hey, this changed the fact that I don't want to kill myself anymore to I'm okay, I can function, Mm -hmm. then what's wrong with it? You know? Well, but I would, I would, I just warn against just writ large against economist thinking patterns because it works for one person doesn't right. mean it works for everyone because it doesn't work for one person doesn't mean it doesn't work for anyone. Right. Um, I think we, I think there's, I think there's a big table. There's a lot of room in it. And, you know, I just think we need to give each other a lot of grace. And if somebody finds what works for them, oh, you know, it, just to say, oh, well, that makes you an X, Y, Z. You know, we're to, to be very label based, I think, is short sighted. That's awesome, because I know that I talk to a lot of guys and I know that uh, we just, you know, just a while back, we had the Humble Alpha, uh, the have mission that built this, that, that we built this with. They actually had a, a thing in Houston this year um, and we all went to or just this past year. Um and they had a healthcare symposium, a mental health symposium nice. afterwards. Nice. And it was really based on alternative stuff. You know, uh, there's a lot of stuff out there that I know anything about. Mm-hmm. You know, the the sensory stuff where you uh, get in the chambers, you know, and they and they do or the where they take all the senses away from you and the you know the I sensory forget, deprivation. The, yeah, all it's that. Incredible. Yeah, I've I've I it, I don't know. I've not done any of that stuff i've never had a reason to but a lot of guys are using it and it's you know there's a lot of alternative methods to taking pills and i I don't know that that's i mean some people like i know for a fact some people have chemical imbalances and they need something to help them 
And I, you know, my wife will tell you, she's just, I got to take this and that. And that's all there is to it because I can function normally. But it, like you said, it doesn't work for everybody. And um, I think there can be a lot of shame too. You know, if we can talk about that a little honestly. Yeah. Um, there, there can be a lot of shame when it comes to taking an antidepressant or an anti-anxiety medication or seeing a psychiatrist, even if it works for us. Even if I found something that works for me, there can be a lot of shame in that. Yeah. And uh, there can be a lot of shame in, in seeking out psychiatric care. So there's a difference. So there, there are a lot of different mental health professionals. So you've got counselors, therapists. Those are like master's levels therapists. So that's somebody with a master's level in like counseling, school counseling. You have social workers who are trained pretty much the same way, except social workers have a secret superpower. No joke. <laughs> they are just the most resourceful human beings. Full stop. Then we have psychologists. Uh, psychologists are PhD level uh, clinicians. So uh, they go to school for five years. They write a dissertation. They are research based. Um they're also trained in, in how to perform therapy. And then we have psychiatrists and that's a medical doctor. So that's someone who can set your bone when you fall off the ladder, deliver, you know, a baby, uh, give you stitches and prescribe medication. And so they're, you know, those are all different mental health professionals who work generally in concert with each other. So seeing a psychiatrist um, we may have an initial intake session with them, meaning that they're going to ask us about our, you know, family history, ask us drug history, hospitalizations, things like that. But when we meet with them, if I'm being for real and for honest, it's, it's going to be 15, 20 minutes tops. And that's because they are just checking to see, are we having a drug interaction? Are the medications affecting you physically in the way that we want? Or do we need to to tweak these? Do we need to change that? When we see, and a lot of, and I mentioned this because a lot of folks will get really upset when they see a psychiatrist and they're like, well, they didn't even ask me, you know, what happened since last session. And that's because that's not what they do. They just have a very different job. You know, just very different. And, um, you know, then you can see your psychologist, your social worker, your um, your therapist, your master's level clinicians. Those are the folks that you'll be meeting with, um, you know, maybe once a week, every other week, once a month that, you know, hopefully not more than that, uh, longer in between sessions, but that you'll be talking to and really giving a heart to heart to. Um, but there can be a lot of shame for folks um, to go and seek psychiatric help, even if it's something um, like something pretty severe, like bipolar disorder or schizophrenia. And I would want to encourage anyone who is on the fence about seeking psychiatric care um, to if, talk to your medical professional, talk to a doctor, talk to a psychologist, talk to a a counselor, talk to someone you trust. Um, psychiatric care has changed a lot in just the last 50, shoot, in the last 10 years, let alone the last 50 years. Yeah. You know, it wasn't very, it wasn't very long ago that folks with schizophrenia or bipolar disorder, you know, were institutionalized 
for their entire lives because they, they couldn't function. And now medication has come so far that they're just doing so well and, re- and really able to lead very normal, very productive, very peaceful, just wonderful lives. Uh, folks with de- severe depression, you know, can lead really healthy, wonderful, robust lives now because of medication. Yeah. Um, so a lot has changed, but what hasn't changed is, is kind of that, that shame that comes with it. So I, you know, I think if cannabis works for you, do it. And if it doesn't, don't. And it's all okay. I think life is hard enough. Yeah. <laughs> Get help. Get help. So if somebody's out there uh, and what would your advice if they, what if they're not like not really sure they're just struggling with stuff, but they're really not sure like, hey, I don't, I don't really think there's anything wrong with me, you know, but, um, you know. What would be advice that you would give somebody who's listening? Maybe they do know they got an issue, but maybe they don't want to talk about it. I think that's more the case, to if, if I'm being for real and for honest. Yeah. Um, so let's talk about avoidance. <laughs> this is ugly. Uh, but if we can't talk about it here, where can we talk about it? So here is what happens with, with PTSD. Um, and with other mental health disorders, but I'm not an expert in really anything else. So it is what it is. So when it comes to PTSD, it, like, like I was telling you with my own story, I knew something was wrong, but I didn't know what it was, but I knew something was wrong. And here's the thing. And unless you, unless you lucked out and you like ended up having stupid kids, which is unlikely because kids are pretty unbelievably intelligent these days and perceptive, just hard perceptive. My goodness, why I don't work with children. (laughs) They are brilliant. It it is very likely that your family members know that something's wrong too. And it's pretty likely that, especially because there's so much information out there, not good information, but information just writ large, that we know that it's PTSD, or we know that it's related to our deployment or to our rape or to our being uh, assaulted or trafficked. Or I mean, there's, unfortunately, there there's so much trauma out there. So I, I, I knew something was wrong. My spouse knew something was wrong. I knew he knew something was wrong and he knew I knew he knew. (laughs) And so here's what happens. We start avoiding the people who love us the most. We start pushing them away and we will tell them things like, you know, I don't want to worry my child. I don't want to worry my mom. I don't want to worry my spouse. They are already worried. Stop it. Stop it. They're worried. Trust me. But we start pushing them away. Um, because we don't want to worry them. And it's for very good reasons. And we might start even even tell ourselves things like, you know what? If I killed myself, it would be best for them. It is, it is a mercy kill because they are going to be better off without me. And these are real thoughts. We need to get real about this. So we start pushing people away. We start pushing away the people we love the most. We stop making those phone calls to check in with our mom and dad. We, we push away our friends. We push away our battle buddies. We're having a, a reunion for our fire team. 
I'm not going. We push away the people who love us the most because we say that we don't want to worry them, but they are worried. They're worried. And it's hard because it becomes this elephant in the room. Now, it's not real elephants, metaphorical elephant, but (laughs) it's that big, stinking, hulking thing that is in the room that's there. We all know it's there and nobody talks about it. And, And it becomes a point of shame. It takes a life of its own. It takes a life of its own. It gets into bed with you and your spouse every night. It... It is the thing that we can't talk about. Um, you know, maybe our spouse is worried. Well, if I bring it up to Jose, what if what if he thinks he's what if he kills himself? Then it's my fault. You know, there's all of these things that are unsaid, and it becomes the elephant in the room. All of a sudden, we can't talk about it. And in talking with some of our, our Vietnam brothers and sisters. This can go on a really long time and it is absolutely not good for us. That is part of avoidance. So when it comes to avoidance, this is Criterion Charlie of PTSD. Um, So if you go to um, thesoldiersblog.com, you can get our um, our quick start guide. It's going to walk you through all the criteria of of PTSD because I want you to sound smart. When you go to your doctor, when you go to your CMP exam, I want you to sound smart. Um, So this is Criterion Charlie, um, is avoidance. So truth is, when it comes to PTSD, and this makes so much sense, PTSD is so logical. That's what makes it an ass kicker. That's what makes it so hard. It is so incredibly logical. We will go way, way out of our way to avoid anything that reminds us of our trauma. And that makes sense because who wants to remember their trauma? So we start pushing the people that we love away. We start, we start uh, spending all day in the garage, day drinking. We start uh, drugging because it'll help us to forget. We, we start just pushing everything and everyone away from us. And we will you know, go out of our way, we'll avoid holidays, we'll stay off the Facebook. And the idea is really smart because here's how, here's how we want, we want it to work. So this is it's kind of broken down very simply, but the neuroscience behind it. So imagine that your feelings are on a continuum like this. Okay. And over here, we've got the feelings I don't want to feel. I don't want to feel crappy. I don't want to feel sad. I don't want to feel angry. I don't want to feel guilty. I don't want to feel shame. Then we go in the middle. We've got those kind of middle feelings. Meh. Okay. Ambivalent. Whatevs. (laughs) Then we've got the feelings that we do want to feel. We want to feel joy. We want to feel happiness. We want to feel laughter. Unicorn sprinkles. Got it. (laughs) So here's the thing about this continuum. When it comes to avoidance, we're trying to avoid all the things on this side of the continuum. And we just want to feel the things in the middle and the things on the side over here, all those good feelings, because that makes sense. That makes sense. Why would you want to feel crappy? But the brain doesn't work like that. If it did, that would be awesome. It's not a thing. So the thing about this continuum is it attenuates from both ends in equal measure. So if we 
go out of our way to avoid these feelings, this will go in the same way. And all of a sudden we cannot feel, I say again, we cannot feel the things on this end. Okay. So we are avoiding these feelings. Now, all of a sudden I can't feel happy. I can't feel joy, even though I know I should. I know that I should be happy because my kid just won their state championship in high school. I should be happy because it's my birthday and people just told me they love me and, but I don't feel anything. I don't feel anything. We get to this middle place here, all those medium feelings, and we, we start feeling numb. We don't feel anything. We don't feel anything, which is preferable. We don't want to feel all this, but now we're just numb. And that is a freaking terrifying place to be, friend. It's really frightening to be in the middle and feel numb. We start asking ourselves questions. Am I a psychopath? Well, I must be a monster. You know, we were talking earlier about the things we tell ourselves because only a monster um, would not be able, you know, if our, our spouse or a child comes to us and we know that they have every right to be legit upset but we don't feel anything. We just feel numb. And it's a really frightening place to be. Mm. And then more often than not, we'll get this idea and it may come from outside. It may come from inside. doesn't really matter. I know what I'll do. I'll commit suicide. All of a sudden, something really interesting happens. We feel something. It's not necessarily sprinkles and rainbows, but it's not numb. It's something, it's something. We feel something. And to our brain that has felt nothing for a very long time, that registers as good. So we, we think about it. We start thinking about committing suicide. We start thinking about it and it's a coping mechanism. And we need to get very real about this and you're not gonna like it, so buckle in. Thinking about suicide is a coping mechanism. And it works until it doesn't. It's just like box breathing exercises, drugs, alcohol. You know, the difference between those healthy coping skills, like something you would learn in therapy, like breathing or counting techniques or grounding techniques, uh, anything like that, versus drugs, alcohol, thinking about suicide. When your box breathing stops working, you can go to something else. When your suicide stops working, that gets really dangerous really fast. It's really dangerous really fast. When drinking and drugging doesn't work anymore and we build up that tolerance, it'll get us by the throat. This becomes very deadly very fast. So when we're in this numb place, we start telling ourselves, I'm just going to think about suicide. I'm just going to think about it. And maybe we start fantasizing about it. And the fantasies are fun. We got to get real about that. We start thinking, who, who's going to be in my last FU post on the Facebook? Who, what am I going to write in my note? How am I going to, uh, you know, does my, does my life insurance pay out for this? Oh, after two years, you know, it'll pay out for suicide. I have to have the insurance policy for two years. And we tell ourselves that we are just doing it just as a mental exercise to keep going. And here's what I need you to know. When we are thinking about suicide as a coping mechanism, we are on a knife's edge. And here's why. <clears throat> In everyone's life, rain falls, 
whether you like it or not, there will always be something that happens that overwhelms our ability to cope. We need to get very real about that. That is what life is. We are all going to get overwhelmed at one point or another. And if we are thinking about suicide and that's our coping mechanism, and then we get overwhelmed because that's how life happens. That is what our brain is going to tell us immediately is I got a solution for this. And upwards of 90% of suicide attempts happen when we're drugging or drinking. We're literally not in our right minds. If you've ever known an EMT, there are a lot of horror stories about suicide attempts. That, that is harsh. That is harsh. So when we're using thoughts of suicide as a coping mechanism, we are on a knife's edge. We are much closer to actually acting on that than we might think. And I, I just need to be, I need to be real with you about that. It is time to get help. It is time to talk to somebody about that. You know, suicide kind of comes in four phases. So there's uh, ideations. That's when we're thinking about it. These imaginations, okay? Then we have intent, suicidal intent. I, I call those a case of the efforts. You get a case of the efforts. It's like, okay, I have these ideas and then effort. I got, I'm going to do it. Very impulsive. Very impulsive. That doesn't mean that we're going to do it, but getting that case, we're there. Then we get into the third and fourth stage. So the third phase is planning. We start thinking about how we would do it. We start thinking about where we would do it. Which, which beam in my house is going to actually hold my body weight? Um, maybe, I should, maybe I should make sure that my cell phone signal ha my cell phone has a signal out in the woods in Seguin so that I can call the cops before I blow my head off so that you know deer and wild dogs don't eat my body. We start thinking about it. How, what am I gonna put in my note? Then we get to preparation. Preparation. Let me go ahead and buy that rope. Let me see how much mm. rope at the Home Depot I got. Let me, let me go ahead and pick up some ammo. And what I need you to know, friends, is that I, you know, I'm, I'm probably making it sound really segmented. This shit happens fast. This happens very, very fast. I had a job years ago. Um, where I was responsible for um, talking to units that, uh, so military units that experienced uh, suicide or suicide homicide within their ranks. And, um, and I've talked to, you might, you, my first job as a, uh, as a baby therapist, one of my first internships was at a, at a jail. And so I've, I've had a lot of experience, unfortunately, talking to folks on kind of both sides of the suicide coin. So here's what I know. If you try to commit suicide and it doesn't work, because this happens very quickly, this happens very quickly, it is very likely that you're going to end up in jail because someone's going to call 911. It's, not, it, it's because that's just that's who's going to show up. They're going to get you in what we call a turtle suit. 
I don't know what it's actually called. It is a one-piece smock that is bright green and looks like a Ninja Turtle suit. Um, and it doesn't have any um, strings or anything that you could hurt yourself with. And you will be put in the medical ward for supervision. And then you got to talk to somebody like me. And if I've heard it once, Jose, I've heard it a thousand times. A thousand times. Virginia, it all happened so fast. It all happened so fast. Before I knew it. Before I knew it. I had drank half the fifth and the bottle of pills were gone. Before I knew it, my son walked in on me tying a noose. Before I knew it, the cops showed up and I had laser pointers on my chest. Before I knew it, I had the gun in my mouth and I could taste the metal. This happens very fast, very, very fast. And when we're under the influence of drugs or alcohol, faster. This happens very fast. On the flip side, when I have talked with, with survivors, and there's a wonderful group here in San Antonio called Solos. It's out of the Ecumenical Center, which is phenom, by the way. Mad props to Ecumenical Center. It's survivors of loved ones of suicide. So this is a place for, um, for family members, loved ones to go when, when their loved one has committed suicide. And... I hear the same thing over and over again. You know, Virginia, I, I knew Jose was having a hard time. But I thought he was getting better. Mm. You know, we saw him out. He was smiling. He came to the company cookout. We saw him just at Christmas. You know, and we go back to thinking of that using, using um, suicide as coping mechanism, just thinking about it meditating on it, using that as a coping mechanism. It, I mean, and we all know that suicide sucks. We know that it hurts. It's going to be messy. And the likelihood of us screwing it up is high. We know it is a violent, fucked up way to die. And we do it anyway. We do it anyway. We know all that and we do it anyway. Hmm. We are literally not in our right mind when, when we are suicidal. And that's not to throw judgment. That is, that is to give you pause. It is possible that you are wrong. If you are thinking that suicide is the answer, it is possible that you are wrong and that your death would be a shit show. It is possible that you are wrong. But we start thinking about it. And we, even though we know it's a violent, painful end, it still gives us a little pep in our step. Maybe our spouse has just, gosh, Virginia, it's good to see you out again. It's good to see you smiling. Look who's bathing once a week. Welcome back to them. We think, we think that we're getting better. But in our minds, you know, if the person who is perhaps suicidal, you know, it's that coping mechanism. Wow. You have too, so too much dark, knowledge. No, dark. no, not at all. And I think people are so... <clears throat> people try to sidestep this all the time. Ooh. They don't want to talk about it. You're right. Uh, and so that's one of the reasons I was really excited about uh, when, when you, I guess Nicole reached out. Yeah. Love and, you, Nicole. And, uh, and so I was excited because people don't want to talk about this. They just don't. They're scared or whatever, you know? And so uh, 
I've got a couple of these, so you can you know reach out and uh, you can reach out to Virginia. I know uh, she's on social media too. Um, and where can people buy this book? Sure. Oh, thanks for asking. So we've got it in paperback. We've got it in ebook, and it's available wherever fine books are sold. So you can do Barnes and Noble. You can do Amazon. There is an audio book. Because if you're anything like me, I don't read, I just don't read books if I'm being for real and honest, but I do have a commute and I do listen. Um, and you don't have to listen to me. Kelly Tager is the voice actress on that. And just today, and thank you to Katie Salitis, who, who really helped with this project. I've got an awesome team. You guys are the best. Um, the Soldier's Guide Workbook, the PTSD Workbook. It was just released today and it is the soldier's guide. And it's got a lot of extra space for you to actually um, write out your thoughts, to write your reflections. It has a lot of prompts in it for people to go ahead and write through. So if you're an audio processor like me, we've got an audio book. If you're a reader, we've got it on Kindle, um, ebook. You can get from your library for free. Um, Overdrive um, is the library system. Get it from your, don't, buy it and keep keep your 10 bucks get it from the <laughs> library for real get it from the library um you know audiobook uh this year we will have the spanish uh version of that and then this summer we're aiming for august 26 which is national women's day we're going to be releasing um uh the ptsd guide for women so that's going to be uh a, 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 for for a different audience um and not so many curse words, I promise. <laughs> um, so that, and that is uh, co-written with Katie Salidas, who is a brilliant young author and just really got her stuff together. Um, but, you know, at the, at the very least, I would encourage everyone to download the Quick Start Guide. It's available for free, free. And you can get that at thesoldiersblog.com. You can sign, sign up for our newsletter. You know, you don't have to sign up forever but you'll be charmed to death. You'll love it. Um, check us out on social media. Uh, we're on the TikTok. I feel I'm very full of myself for the TikTok. The TikTok is, yeah, yeah. I'm still working on that one. But oh, I love it. it is, oh, I, I love it. It is, it is such a guilty pleasure. I really enjoy it. And um, we're on TikTok, we're on Instagram, we're on Facebook. Connect with us. We've got a great community and, um, connect with each other, connect with us. And I really don't have a life. I mean, reach out, send me an email. I think what, what I know that Joe will, will spearhead some sort of thing, but I would like for us to be able to put together. Uh, I really liked that the symposium. It was really, it was, a, it was attached to something else, but I really like the idea of sitting down having these conversations because there's a lot of guys I think that would benefit, you know, and, and if, and if, if they didn't, you know, they'll, this is going to go out to all the, it'll be on, um, what is it? iTunes uh, podcast yeah. and Google podcast nice. and Spotify and Stitcher. And it goes out to all of those. And so people will be able to go back and listen and hear something. But I would like for us to hopefully do something in the future uh, where we set something up and then you are the expert and you come and talk and, uh, you know, bring some friends with you that are experts too. And, oh. and we could do something because, you know, Joe and Joe is always, um, we're a, ever since we built this place and we met in person in the middle of the pandemic, uh, we have a group and we talk weekly and we're really close, you know, because mm -hmm. we had that physical, you know, 
contact. We, you know, not literally, but, you know, we were all together in person Mm -hmm. aside from what everybody else was doing. And it made, it changed all of us. And so, uh, you know, Chris and I are, are getting a business venture together with the coffee and, you know, Joe and I do stuff with soap and he does soaps and then Kennedy does our graphics and, and so we're all really close, you know, we all talk to each other on a regular basis. And uh, Joe's always talking about doing something. Well, here you go, Joe. And so let's put something together and let's get Virginia. I'd love that. And uh, let's do something, you know, in San Antonio, because San Antonio is such a huge military mm-hmm. presence. Maybe we can get uh, Ruben Ayala with a triple nickel uh, involved, you know, and, and just do something big. Well, and, and if you got a book club or if any of you out there are doing a book club, um, and you guys choose our book as your book club choice, I'd be happy to come and talk at your book club meeting. Awesome. I, I love small groups. You guys, you guys have great questions. <laughs> yeah, I, I really appreciate everybody's time tonight. I really appreciate your time. Uh, the drive up alone is a long drive. And I know because I, I, I used to have friends. I would drive back and forth a lot. That I still have friends. They're still down there, but I just don't go down there anymore. You're um, missing out. Yeah, the valley's and, where it's at. And so uh, I appreciate your time and your, you know, what you give away on this show just tonight. The little tidbits, uh, people pay big money for, you know, to go talk to somebody. I don't know about veterans, but you know, people in the civilian sector, you know, they pay people to give them, you know, sound advice, you know, to talk to them in a way that you're not scared to talk to people. You know, this is how it is. This is the ugly of it. And, yeah. and I, we've gotten so far away from, you know, you know, I don't know, just being willing to hear those things, you know, and not go like, Ooh, I don't want to hear this. You know, it's like with, you know, plant medicine. It's like, Oh, it's taboo. I, you know, I want to be part of that. Well, what if it's not, what if it saves somebody's life? You know? Yeah. What we don't talk about becomes that elephant in the room. And whenever there's an elephant in the room, we have to name it. And that takes a lot of courage. It's, this isn't easy. We have to name it. Otherwise shame comes in and that's, that kills. Absolutely. Folks, you're never alone ever. There's always somebody, especially in our community. There's always somebody willing to talk to you. And, uh, and even if like, I, I don't have any expertise in the field, but if somebody needs to, I'll be a, an ear to listen to. If you just need to pour it out. And I know there's a lot of us in the groups, you know, uh, in the in the community in general that would do the same. I don't know anybody who would say, well, I don't want to talk to you. I don't want to know about, you know, if somebody's in crisis, I'm pretty sure you could find another veteran regardless of, you know, uh, to lend an ear, much less somebody who's, you know, yeah. been to school and knows how to, you know, understand what's going on because we don't sometimes we don't you know it's hard to ask it's very hard to ask and then as you know i don't know about female soldiers but i know men you know i think we're even worse <laughs> you know we're a little you know oh, i was just you know i gut it out i'm gonna get it out and then we've got cultural differences right you know in the valley you know we talk a lot about machismo machismo and um and there are a lot of cultural barriers to getting mental health Right. Um, and we, we, this is not easy and I, I don't want to pretend it is, but it, it is hard to ask for help, especially when we value being self-reliant. But the, the fact is there are so many people who want to help. I know that 
if I were hurting, I know that you would want to know. If yeah. someone I care about was hurting, I'd want to know. I w- it is my privilege. I want to know. I want to be a part of that. It's not a burden. Yeah. I really, again, I, I can't thank you enough uh, for one driving up and then just sharing. Uh, and folks, get the book. Uh, I'm going to put the, all the, I'll put the show notes when we, when we finish up, I'll get all the, the uh, .orgs and .coms that she mentioned, and I will put them in the show notes uh, so you guys can refer to them. Uh, if you don't want to reach out, talk to anybody, but you might go to the website, you know, we're going to have it up on our site also, uh, a link to it. And so that way you can, you can, you know, do your own homework and uh, download, you know, the, uh, what did you say? The, the, quick, start series, the quick start guide. Yeah. Get our quick start guide. It's free. It's awesome. Yeah. And so um, as always, I appreciate your time. Thank you so much for tuning in tonight. Uh, I know it was not going to be an easy subject for some of you to hear. Uh, but I'm very grateful that we have people in our community, from our community, literally from, you know, a fellow veteran uh, that is trying to save lives in a way that, you know, is so impactful. And it really is. It's really impactful. So I'm very grateful for that. And uh, hey, that's what we're supposed to do. That's what we learn right day one. We got to take care of our brothers and sisters. And so uh, take care of your brothers and sisters. Reach out. Even if you haven't done it in a long time, pick up that phone. It's, you know, you'll get a whole lot further along uh, with that phone calling 22 year bros or sisters than you will uh, pushing the ground. I'm not saying anything about that. I love it. You know, I know my brother Steve does that every single day. I don't know. He's on a hundred and some days now, but God bless him. But, uh, you know, pick up the phone, call somebody and call somebody if you need to call somebody. You know what I'm saying? Do your buddy checks. Do your buddy checks. Absolutely. And don't be afraid to ask, you know, are you thinking about hurting yourself or someone else? Just ask. That was one thing that I'm, I'll end with that. I, was one thing that I didn't know because I've never really uh, been in that community who'd been deployed and had trauma and dealt with things and didn't know how to deal with them. But I had somebody, uh, Doc Jocelyn actually told me uh, when we were talking one time, uh, he said, um, don't be scared to say the word suicide. Are you mm-hmm. thinking about hurting yourself? Because I promise you, you're not the you're not going to inject that idea into their head. That's it's already there. Yeah. And that was great advice because for somebody who who's never been around, didn't know how to even start a conversation, I was always up until that point that I spoke with Doc, I was always like, well, I don't I don't want to say the wrong thing and trigger them the you know mm-hmm. to hurt themselves. Uh, but you're not going to do that. So, nope. Just so. ask, are you thinking about killing yourself? Are you thinking about suicide? Yeah. And then wait and allow them to answer. It's really powerful. And if you're on the side of the house where you're spiritual and you believe in God, then you can call me because I know a lot about that and I'd be happy to talk to you. Uh, you know, that's my, I guess, calling what God has called me to do later in life. Uh, is to, to, you know, to learn his word mm-hmm. and to be able to, to, and, you know, and if that comforts you, I, I'd love to talk to you about anything in the Bible. You know, the Bible has a lot of wisdom. Uh, and I, I love to tell people all the time, especially people who are struggling. Joshua 1 and 9 is, is um, be strong enough, good courage. Do not be dismayed for the Lord thy God is with thee wherever that goes. And I always tell people what that means is that when your girlfriend doesn't talk to you, when, mm-hmm. when your bros don't answer their phone, 
when your family doesn't want to talk to you anymore because they're scared or whatever, when everybody turns their phones off and everybody shuts their doors, you always have an inexhaustible resource in God that will never, ever leave you alone. And so that's, you can call me for that part. I know that, but uh, don't wait. Don't, you know, if you're struggling, don't reach out. Somebody's going to, somebody's always willing to to talk. Always love you guys. I appreciate so much the, um, the viewers. Uh, and I know that this will continue to go. It, it always does. It just, especially when it gets to the, uh, we get a lot of downloads, um, after the fact when people are driving. And so this is going to be a great episode for you to listen to. And again, I will put all the information in the show notes so that you can refer to that later if you need help. Um, and if you don't, you know, somebody that does share it with them. And so with that, uh, 1900 next Friday, uh, we're going to do, we're going, we'll be back on the regular format with the zooms. Uh, but we've got some great guests for the rest of the month. And so I encourage you, uh, to subscribe, hit our YouTube, subscribe there, hit our TikTok and our Facebook. And if you're in the San Antonio area, come out to coffee fest tomorrow and say hi, because we're going to be at Travis park from, I think nine till three o'clock tomorrow. So come see us, drink some great coffee. See you next week. Always like I always end our show, treat each other the way God intended us to treat one another with love, kindness, and respect until next week. God bless. If I can just <laughs> end it. <laughs>